Well, hey guys, welcome to the table, our second table of the semester. My name is Sydney. If we haven't gotten the chance to meet, I get to serve as your college and young adults pastor, and it is a privilege to get to serve you guys. This is such a fun group, and it's been an honor to see what the Lord is doing because he is definitely moving in this, this place and in, um, in this generation of our church so this, this semester at the table, um, we are evaluating our relationships with some core elements of our faith. So as um, your young adult leadership team, we sat down and were praying about what we were supposed to study this semester, and this is what the Lord put on our hearts. So last month, Jonah, our missions pastor, got to come talk to us about the Bible and challenge our relationship with Scripture And he challenged us um, that a lot of us like to read the Bible as a spiritual chicken nugget and pick and choose pieces of scripture that benefit us. But he um, challenged us to immerse ourselves in the story of scripture, in the epic story about Jesus that is the Bible. And he challenged us that scripture is not all about us, but about Jesus and how we can fall more in love with Jesus. So I hope that you had great conversations in your small group, if you're in a small group, about the Bible. And tonight, we're going to be challenging our relationship with God. We're going to be talking about what our relationship looks like with God. So how do you view God right now in your life? What is your relationship with God like? Who is God to you? I want you to think about that for a second. Who is God to you? What are some words that come to mind? I think if we truly sit down and think about who God is to us in our lives, what our relationship is with God, we often fall into two camps. Um, The first is that we either see God as a just God, and thus we focus on his judgment of our actions and the actions of others. Or we see God as a merciful God, And therefore, we tend to focus on his grace and the good gifts that he offers. So let's spend a little bit of time fleshing this idea out. So first, I want to look at God as a just God or a judgmental God. For many of us, our our primary view of God is God as a judging God or God as a God of wrath. We've grown up in the faith or been introduced to a space of faith that has instilled this thought into us that God is judgmental and needs us to follow these lists of rules. You might have bought into this narrative that if you are good, God will bless you, and if you are bad, God will curse you. And often, um, this is the narrative that I lean into, and it puts us in a place where our life is rigid because we worship a rigid God. So for me, a little bit about my story, I came to UMHB um, to play volleyball, and um, my sophomore year, I had earned myself a starting spot on the team, and I was really enjoying it because it's fun to be successful, right? Um, so I, we were having a really great season, and I was having a lot of fun, but also my sophomore year of college, I was being a little bit rebellious and doing things that a rebellious college student does. And so one night, it was our first, um, one of our first conference games, it was a home game, and we had 
a lot, or I had a lot of my family there and a lot of my friends, and I was just really excited. And um, so we were in the game. I was middle blocker, and I went up to the right side of the net to block. I got the block, and then I planted weird when I came down, and my knee buckled, and it gave out, and I went to the ground. And as you can probably guess, um, I tore my ACL and my meniscus, and I would be out for the rest of the season and had a long road of recovery ahead. But I tell you this story because my immediate thought when I hit the ground, like literally almost immediately, was, is God punishing me for the decisions that I've been making? Is God punishing me for the decisions that I've been making? And I continued to wrestle with this thought throughout my recovery process. Was God punishing me for the choices that I was making? And this was not a healthy or helpful mindset for me at all. It was not um, good for my relationship with my heavenly father. It affected our relationship because I saw God as a God who blesses those who are good and curses those who are bad. And this created a very transactional relationship. And we know, like when we look at the world around us, when we look at people around us, we know that God doesn't function that way and the world doesn't function that way because there are plenty of really good people that we know personally that are experiencing horrible, tragic things, right? And then we also know that there are terrible people that do really, really bad things, that are living lavish lives and have far beyond what they could ever need. Okay, so we know that the world doesn't function that way, but we want to, some, for some reason, believe that God blesses those who do good and punishes those who do bad. Um, so a study was done by Baylor University that revealed that 37% of Christians believe this that God is both judgmental and highly engaged in the affairs of humans. And this means that what they were saying here is that they believe that God is just waiting for them to make a mistake so that he can punish them and say that you're wrong. He's just waiting to slap you on the wrist. And have you ever had a teacher or a coworker or a friend or a parent who you just feel like is waiting for you to screw up? Who they're just watching your every move to finally see you make a mistake. And that, that's horrible, right? That is anxiety-ridden and sometimes paralyzing when you have people like that in your life. It's like, do you, do you want to be around someone like that? No, not at all. Um, so if we view God being like everything we've just described, I don't see us living a very free or full life. If our relationship with God instills anxiety, that's not what he intended for us. If we believe in our core that Christianity is supposed to be rigid, then we're missing something. If we believe God um, functioning in this way is paralyzing to us and causes us to throw up our hands and say, forget it. I'm done with this because I'm never going to live up to these expectations. So I'm out. I'm done trying. I don't blame you. I don't blame you because this way of thinking is exhausting and terrifying. And ultimately, if we lean into this narrative, that we lean heavily into God being a just and judgmental God, then 
we are ultimately living out of fear trying to earn God's love. So that's what this side of the narrative does. And then on the flip side, if we see God as a merciful God, we tend to want to believe that he doesn't care about the choices that we're making here on earth. He's cool with whatever we're doing. He's not that involved with the day-to-day life, and we see God as, a, as passive and permissive of all things. We just want to see God um, as the God who forgives and blesses us. That's it. So James Bryan Smith, the author of The Good and Beautiful God, explains it this way. He says, Today, many people have abandoned the angry God narratives, believing that God is just the opposite. In our day, you are just as likely to hear a person tell you that their God is a cosmic, benevolent spirit who never judges, does not punish sin, and sends no one to hell. This teddy bear God has become a very fashionable alternative to the wrathful God of days gone by. So I think that this is also a very real narrative for our generation that we want to believe about God. We want a permissive, all-loving God that never judges. We want a God that says, you do you. And I think Smith is right that this is a very fashionable tendency for us to think of God in this way. But if, like, when you really think about what a teddy bear does, like, I want you to think about it. What, what do you end up doing with a teddy bear? Okay, so when I was thinking about it, I, I thought about this clip, and I, I want us to watch it real quick. Uh-oh, we don't have sound. Am I going to have to um, quote it? <laughs> Okay, well, I'll explain what it's saying. I mean, hopefully you've seen Toy Story 2. This is three? Oh, man, I'm so sorry. So, what's happening here? Thanks, Cutter, the movie king, for putting me in my place. Um, so, Andy here is about to go to college, and his mom is like, what are you going to do with all these toys? You need to make a decision by Friday and decide if you're going to put them in the garage sale or put them in the attic. Okay, so we know Andy, right? We know that he had a really special relationship with Woody and Buzz Lightyear. And he took them everywhere when he was a kid. And they were probably the source of comfort for him. But eventually, they started to sit on his shelf or in his toy box. And then eventually, his mom was like, okay, you're not even using these anymore. Like, you might as well throw them in the attic. And then... Like, one day, he's not even going to need them anymore. They're just going to be a distant thought in the past. And if we, I think the same as if we, it's true if we believe God is this teddy bear, that he might have meant something to us at first. He might have been um, a special to us or a source of comfort, but then we're going to get comfortable, and we're going to put him on the shelf, and then we're going to realize, like, maybe I don't really need him anymore until eventually he's, he's, old news, and he, he doesn't matter to us anymore. And so why, why even worship a God who is so disengaged? And why was God sacrificing his only son really necessary if he was unfazed by sin? You see, we will eventually 
run into some pretty big issues if we believe this about God because he becomes distant and powerless. But what do we do when there is darkness in the world all around us? Because there is. What do we do? And we want someone to do something, right? But we don't want judgment. We want no judgment for sleeping around with our boyfriend or girlfriend, but we want judgment on the rapist, right? We, we want no judgment for gossiping, but we want judgment on the murderer. So it's like none of us really want to live in a purge-like world where there's no justice, right? We want a God who has power. We want a God who is involved. So obviously there are problems if we lean too heavy into either of these narratives. But our tendency is to choose one side of the other because that's natural for us as humans. We want to camp out on one side of the other because it gives us more control of this relationship with God. Because it's hard for us to understand God is both just and merciful. It's hard for us to wrap our brains around that. But let's jump into our text tonight. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in 1 John, which is way back in the end of the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, we have some back there in the back in front of the sound booth. It will also be on the screen for you to follow along. So 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. <clears throat> it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out, drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If we say we love God yet hate a brother or sister, we are liars. If we do not love a fellow believer whom we have seen, we cannot love God whom we have not seen. And he has given us this command, those who love God must love one another. So who, who is God to us? Who should God be to us? God is love. God is love. That's what John is telling us in this text. The Greek word for love here is agape. And when we think of love, I think our tendency is to think of it in an emotional 
way, in like a falling in love kind of way. But agape love that is displayed by Jesus is not emotionally motivated. It's not based on a feeling. It's rooted in action and in choice. God demonstrated his agape love to us through Jesus. Jesus reveals who God is. And we see that in verse 9. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. And then look at verse 10. It says, let's see. Look over here. Verse 10, it says, um, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So you catch that. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. We don't do anything to earn God's love. God is love and chooses to extend that love to us. God loves us already no matter what you have done or what you are currently doing right now. Our love back towards God is out of response to his love to us. It's not to earn it. It's to receive it. Um, That's why if you've heard of our Vista Rule of Life, this list of rhythms that we practice Um, That's why we started out with this morning prayer, the prayer to receive. And that's what DJ led us in at the beginning of our service. But we have our rule of life, and the morning prayer is the prayer to receive because we believe that we, we want us and our people at the Vista to start their day doing the most important prayer we think possible, and that is to receive God's love. To receive God's love and to accept and embrace the love of God. That's how we believe we should start our day. And God being love means he's both just and merciful. We see his wrath on the cross. God hates sin. This is because he can't stand the things that hurt his children. God cares so much about us, his children, that he does not want them participating in anything that's going to destroy them. But his wrath isn't this emotional rage. I mean, the wrath that we probably have experienced from people in our lives is out of emotion, and it's this rage. God's wrath is not emotional. God's wrath is not emotional, and he's not just an angry God waiting to punish us when we disappoint him. It is motivated by loyal love that wants us to not settle for anything that separates us from him. So in verse 16, starting verse 16, it says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Our God is not angry and waiting for us to mess up. When we are living in his love 
And some translations use the word abiding in his love, which means abide means to accept or act in accordance with. So when we are abiding in God's love, we don't have to live in fear. There will be a judgment day. But when we accept the love of God, we can have confidence in the fact that God has already accepted us. That's something to, to celebrate. So there's no, there's no fear um, in God's love. And he acknowledged, John acknowledges here that fear has to do with punishment. And God is not waiting to punish us when we get off track. But just like any loving father would do, He's going to get our attention and redirect us back into his love. See, discipline is a gift. It's an act of love. It's not a gotcha moment. It's not out of emotion. But it's a loyal, loving moment to help us be directed to look more like Jesus. Love does not produce fear, but freedom. So when we truly encounter God's love, we can't help but be changed. When we truly experience God's love, there will be life change. So we can't say we've experienced God's love and then try and live under this safe umbrella that we believe we can do whatever the heck we want and we'll be fine, right? Um, he's not a teddy bear God. We just, we're just reminded that judgment day is in fact coming. We just read that in the text, that judgment day is coming but again, life, um, life change, us experiencing life change, isn't in order to receive God's love. That's not what we have to do to receive God's love. It's in response to God's love. When we receive God's love, that's when the growth happens. So I want us to think about it like the sun, like God is the sun and we're a seed, And the seed is not going to grow and flourish and become a flower until it encounters the sun, right? And then the more that the seed is consistently in the presence of the sun, the more it's going to grow into what it was intended to be. And y'all, we are intended to look like Jesus while we are walking this earth. So the more that we are in God's presence, the more we are abiding in God's love, the more our life is going to reflect Jesus. That's when the life change happens. This is called discipleship. And it's a choice. It's a choice we have to make every day. If we depend on emotional love towards God, it's going to fail us. And I'm speaking from experience because there's going to be mornings or seasons when you wake up and you don't feel it anymore. And I've been there, okay? You're going to be there probably more than once. So if you're relying on your relationship with God to be fully emotional, it's not going to work out well. It is a choice. To be a disciple of Jesus is a choice. The agape love that God models for us is not emotional. It's a choice, and we need to model that love back. It's an intentional action, not something that's done on a whim or out of emotion. So I want to end our time together tonight with a challenge that Austin 
gave us a few weeks ago at the beginning of the Essential series on a Sunday morning. Um, and he asked us, what does it mean to believe something? What does it mean to believe something? And he used this quote by Dallas Willard. He said, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it was true. We believe something as if it were true, and when we act like it was true. And that's what John in our text is calling us to do tonight. He is saying, if we believe that God is love, if we believe that that's the core of who God is, and y'all, that is vital for our faith that we do, that we believe that, then we, out of response to that, will love God and love people. Sound familiar? I hope you've heard that mission statement over and over again here at the Vista, that if we experience God's love, then we are called to love God and love people. That's what it means to act like this is true. This should also sound familiar from a teaching from Jesus in Matthew 22, starting in verse 37. He's talking to the Pharisees here. They had asked him, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus replied, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus is saying, this is important. Listen up. This is the number one and two commandment to love God and to love people. And then John in our text tonight is saying the same thing, jumping all the way to the end in verse 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. If we say we love God, yet hate a brother or sister, we are liars. For if we do not love a fellow believer whom we have seen, we cannot love a God whom we have not seen. And he has given us this command, those who love God must love one another. So you see, this is so important for us to work to understand God's steadfast, loyal, loving kindness, because it directly affects the way that we love other people. Because if we have a flawed understanding of God's love, that's going to affect the way that we love other people. Stanley Harwas says it this way. He says, Jesus and, and John also makes explicit what is implicit in the statement of the golden rule in the sermon, namely that love of neighbor and love of God are interdependent. So in other words, our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbor, are depend, are, they directly affect each other and vice versa. You can't separate the two. If you have a, a rigid relationship with God, if you have a rigid relationship with God, you're going to have a rigid relationship with people. And if you have a, a passive relationship with God, you're going to have a passive relationship with people. So I want to challenge us tonight to lean in to God's love and to abide in God's love 
So let's live like people who are abiding in the perfect love of God that is patient, kind, not envious. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. The love of God that does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. The love of God that does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. The love of God that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. This loyal love of God will never fail. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that we serve a God that's not angry and not just micromanaging us and out to get us, but we also serve a God that is so engaged and that cares deeply about our lives. God, thank you so much for extending your love to me and to every single person in this room, whether we deserve it or not. God, I pray that we would desire to be in relationship with you and be changed by your love. God, and as we're about to receive communion together, I pray that this would be an act of receiving, a tangible way to receive your love. Thank you so much for being in this place and for moving in our hearts. We love you so much. In your name, amen.